They're like, yeah, GE stands for green energy. And I was like, yes, yes, this is, this, this is, this is, this has worked. Um, But it took years for us to get to that point. And you had to have real action and real results. CEOs, on average, read 60 books per year. Many attribute their professional success to this persistent quest for new wisdom and innovative excellence. MentorBox makes it easy for you to develop that same high-achieving habit of lifelong learning. As a person of action, you know that true ingenuity is the result of deep, deep knowledge. And just by listening to this podcast, you are working toward your goals every single day. If you are ready to wholly embrace this mindset, this 1% better every day, then check in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes. And if you want to dive deeper into the teachings of our guests, become a member at MentorBox.com today. There, we'll be publishing a course from Beth Comstock. Beth is a former vice chair at General Electric, the only woman to have held that position, and the author of Imagine It Forward. She began her career working for local access television and ended up spending many years at NBC. She held a number of roles in the marketing and publicity departments before being summoned to GE by the CEO himself. She spearheaded countless massive projects, including Ecomagination, the greening of the industry, and her great success garnered the attention of industry titans like Steve Jobs, who directly invited her to join Apple on multiple occasions. Today, Beth and I discuss how she led with difference and helped usher in change in a time where change itself is changing. Her career arc is one of the most fascinating and exciting I've encountered yet. Thanks for tuning into this one. Hello, 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 and welcome to the MentorBox podcast. I'm your host as usual, Tyler Lay, and today I'm with Beth Comstock. Beth, thank you so much for joining us in the studio in New York today. This has been a great shoot. You have done so many amazing things in your career. You ushered in Ecomagination alongside Jeff Immel. Um, you worked on Hulu. You worked with, under Ted Turner when you were younger. You did all these unbelievable things. I want to know what was the what was the biggest, as you just think back very broadly on your career, what was the most exciting or the one that had the most impact on you? Well, I think the Ecomagination experience was my sort of defining one for me because mm-hmm. it was such an unexpected pivot for GE to go toward clean energy. And it was tough. I mean, the culture was not sure it was the right thing to do. So Mm -hmm. it was one of those that had to bring out a lot of internal courage. I was fortunate I had a great champion in Jeff Immelt. He believed in it. Uh, uh, At one point, I think he told the New York Times, there were two of us at one point who thought the idea was a good one. And uh, I always say I'm glad he was the other one. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, you need a strong champion, and it helps if it's the leader of the company when you're taking on that kind of change. But it, it, it was important. It was a mission. It was saying that the company wanted to do the right thing by its, its, you know, the world we live in and for its investors and customers. So it was mm-hmm. ecological and economical. And I love that we were able to kind of meet both of those objectives. And mm-hmm. so it was, uh, it, was, it was really important for me just um, to learn, to feel like we had impact um, and, and, you know, make a difference. We talked about this in between the shots a little bit today, just what that exact scenario was like, but also this idea of leading with difference, which you encountered in many, many different ways. But I think this is probably a good highlight of being different in 
the way you viewed an issue or a scenario and being drastically different because yeah. I, I'm sure, and you've confirmed this, there were many different categories of the industry and individuals and companies that did not want to think more in the ecologically friendly yeah. way. And they were probably pretty vociferous opponents of yeah. what you were doing. Yeah. Was this just emotionally difficult to handle that sort of thing? And I mean, of course, you had Jeff on your side, but yeah. I feel like you must have gotten some really aggressive pushback. A, a, a lot of aggressive pushback. And um, I, I think you have to be really um, comfortable with what you see out there. So mm-hmm. if, if I have a superpower I've honed over my career, I think it is this pattern recognition and ability to see okay. where trends are forming and where things are going. You don't see the future. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. But it builds a confidence. And so... I was just confident and the teams that we, the team we were working with to develop this, we were just really confident that the world was going this way. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to, uh, it's not say you know the answer, it's just a way to build confidence. And so it's a way to kind of take that criticism and, but at the same time, you have to listen to the criticism because people, it's not that they didn't want to change yet. There was some of that. Um, It was people were afraid. We had, GE had been fighting, had had a history of fighting groups like the EPA and uh, NGOs, right. uh, environmental NGOs that we had had an issue with um, the Hudson River based on some legacy things that were done legally, but still put us in a tough position. And so people were afraid, like, we're sticking our neck out. Do we have to do this? Are you sure this is the right thing? Do we have to be first? Mm-hmm. And so I think you also have to understand in those times of that change that, um, that people are afraid. Sure. And so... What my job and the teams I worked with, our job was to bring those outside perspectives in so that people could experience it. It would be one thing for me to say it and them not believe it, but they had to see it. So we'd bring in um, some of the NGOs. We'd bring in customers. We'd bring in people who were also seeing this unfold as a way to make the internal folks feel comfortable with it. We Scientists and things? Scientists. And we, we brought in uh, early customers who were early adopters, you know, mm-hmm. in Europe, for example, where Europe was a bit more uh, ahead of than the U.S. in some of this. And they were able to say, see, this is what we learned. This is what we did. Um, so you have to just admit that change is really, the, the anti-change issue is rooted in fear mm-hmm. and then address it, admit it and address it. So you mentioned that <clears throat> noticing trends is something that you're very successful at at this point. That's very clear. You said something earlier that really struck me about seeing things in threes. So the first time it's interesting, the second time it's a coincidence, the third time it's a trend. Did yeah. I get it right? Yeah. So I want to kind of dig into that process and if you can maybe even give examples, thinking about, you know, eco-imagination even. So was it that you were noticing like NGOs and or like certain significant scientists? Were these things coming through in the media? And of course, you were also very plugged into the media and news and that sort of thing. So how are you able to determine whether it's a signal or if it's just noise? Yeah, and that's a good question because it's a little bit of both. And in the early days, you really don't know. Um, Going on threes, like you just start to see that pattern. And for us, it was a couple of things. We saw um, the greening of the marketplace on the consumer side. Consumers were asking for more you know, greener products. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was where you also got a lot of pushback from the bigger companies is that's really just... Just for consumers, yeah. right? It doesn't apply to industry. And besides, we're industry, you know? So so that, but we were seeing that consumers were expecting more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we were starting to hear from customers that were saying, hey, we see some regulations changing in places like Europe. 
what are we going to do about it? And internally, the fear is, oh, these regulations. What I'd say we found is the regulations always challenge us to be better. So you have to limit your emissions in locomotives. That was a real great challenge for our engineers mm-hmm. um, to innovate. And so the more we could prove to people, hey, those those trends you're seeing, we actually have products in development that can help us do that. That that was another way to start to connect those connect those dots. So when you said it was a challenge to be better, do you mean better in the sort of environmental ethical sense? Or are you saying better just at what you do as engineers? Or at Both. Engineers and I think the, you know, the, the enhanced emission standards meant that the technology had to just be cleaner. And it, it just forced the engineers to think about different ways of creating new products. And um, mm-hmm. all those, those sort of, you know, you see one and you, your, your first instinct is to say, I want to fight that. Right, I see, and I think that's where our customers were coming from. Ah, I see the emergence of more clean re- regulation coming out of Europe. Yeah. Do we fight it? How do we do that? And our answer was kind of counterintuitive: of no, let's let's like like grab it and make have it make us better. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of creating the market that you're going that you're fearing because you start to realize, hey, this trend we can we can actually be competitive and do really well with this, this new thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an un- unintended consequence sometimes of seeing things early, yeah. is that you can say, hey, can we use this to our advantage? And so you're not reacting to everybody else who's doing it. Mm-hmm. This might be a tough question, but I'm just thinking about the progress that you made in your career from early on and the sort of strate- strategies that you used to you know, break through your introversion and, and just become, ingrain yourself in a space that you didn't, you know, fit the sort of mold of what most people in that space looked like. Um, you know, the outsider inside is how you yeah. refer to it and, and imagine it forward. Do you think that you would have been able to offer the the level of support and advocacy for eco-imagination and that, you know, greening younger in your career or earlier in your career? Would you have had the confidence and I know that you probably had the market knowledge and all that it would have been appropriate, but do you think that earlier on you would have been able to push for that, or was this really a long progress? I think it was. Level? I think it's a great question. I think it definitely those two things came together. I was more experienced in my career. Mm-hmm. I was better at pattern recognition. I had a role that allowed me to do that. I mean, I wasn't deep within one industry. I wasn't just in media at that point. Yeah. I wasn't just in energy. My job was to see across industries, so that that helped. But yeah, I think. Part of what you're doing in your career is your, I think, a career is to build your expertise, but it's also to build your capacity to learn faster, and mm-hmm. that gives you confidence. Yeah. So earlier on, I wouldn't have had that confidence, although I think I would have had a gut check, and I think I've always trusted my instinct, and I think I would have had a gut check that would have said, wait a minute. And I did when I worked earlier at GE. I came into GE when the fight was happening against the EPA, and I did have a gut check that said, wait a minute. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I, I'm not sure I agree with this. Mm-hmm. But I also wasn't in a position to do anything about it. I had to learn more about it. I had to understand it. So sometimes you do have to go into things that you, that you may not be exactly aligned with. And it's part of the learning, I think. And it gives you that ability to say, ah, I, yeah, I, I should have trust that instinct. Yeah. So that, that thing that you're talking about right now, was that with Jack Welch mm-hmm. and the original yeah. EPA battle? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the way you tell that story arc is really fascinating going from that that original battle where Jack was kind of like on his way out trying to secure the legacy yeah. and then it comes to 
the deeper future of the great greening, which is, I think, such a fascinating thing because, I don't know, I think of other industry big-time flops that were kind of disrupted. I think of just, like, Blockbuster not yeah. moving into the, you know, the Netflix space and online and how that just completely went under. And I feel like this so easily could have been the same thing if you weren't around. Well, I mean, it took Jeff leading the company and having us having great technology. That was the other thing. I mean, we had the capability to do this. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like we picked something that we had no capability. I mean, I worry about companies that do that. They see a trend and they're like, we have to do that, but they have no capability. So in this case, we did. I remember once we had um, someone came in and they're like, yeah, GE stands for green energy. And I was like, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, this is this this is this Correct. is this has worked. Um, but it took years for us to get to that point, and you had to have real action and real results. And that would I say that's I think the other lesson out of that kind of change going to trends. The, one of the fears in the culture was we're greenwashing. Mm-hmm. We're just sending out a fancy message. This is what people thought marketing did, just what you do at the end, not what you do at the beginning. So just and, like succumbing to pressure. Yeah, exactly. More so like you know, valid concern and that sort right. of thing. Right. So we had to make it real. Like mm-hmm. you couldn't just say, yeah, we're green and we're going to do these few little things. We had to have a real pipeline of investment, a real pipeline of product, yeah. and then a real real series of commitments to change that mm-hmm. we tracked and shared. And so I think in that kind of thing, you have to be very committed to it. Uh, and oh, yeah. it gets confusing when people think about trends because they think, oh, you know, I just see something, but, you know, we're talking about clean tech and the in environmental space. Imagine right now you're working at a plastic straw company. Mm-hmm. You're not feeling good about your future <laughs> in plastic straws. Um, you know, more evidence is coming out. I'm on the board of the National Geographic Society, mm-hmm. and they've been doing a lot of reporting about just plastics in the ocean. That's been ongoing for a while. So hopefully, if you're sitting there right now at a plastic at, at a straw plastic straw company, this isn't There's the a plan or something that you were not totally disrupted and surprised by this. Of what course. have you been doing about that? Mm-hmm. Have you invested in metal straws? Have you invested in again in paper straws? Hopefully, you're not surprised, mm-hmm. and you know you're not sure exactly when it's going to happen, but you shouldn't be surprised. It was the same with green energy; it was going to happen. Yeah, I, you touched on. The other side of the coin here as well, I always think of it, any industry or most industries, the market you know, influences the actions of, of the companies and the leaders of the businesses and their products, but ultimately it goes the other way too. You know, brands have an influence on the public yeah. and on markets and products do too. You know, the <laughs> iPhone like, and the internet, those things yeah. drastically change social culture and the market itself. And... GE is one of those companies, you know, with 300,000 employees and growing, it seems. It it has the ability to change culture in a lot of ways as a true industry leader. And, I mean, do you feel like that has happened as well? I certainly felt that way with clean energy. I felt that way... uh, with the digitization of industry, yeah, we were yeah. early seeing the, this concept of an industrial internet, connecting machines to the internet, not just mm-hmm. people and their computers. You know, I think, I think that that does change certainly business culture um, when a big company says, I see this and I'm willing to make change in it early and mm-hmm. reorganize myself. I know it's interesting. A lot of big companies, I think, take the philosophy, well, we'll be number two. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a good strategy, right? I mean, sometimes I, what I feel like I've learned a lot uh, is just timing is so important and we don't talk enough about it in innovation and change. You can be too early. Oh, in some respects with some of the digitization work, 
we probably got ahead of ourselves in some of the storytelling and some of the investment, but you're also making the market. And to your point, you're trying to influence customers to move that way. And you're never going to get it perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, So somewhere between being first and second is opportunity, but much past that, there's not a lot of opportunity to distinguish yourself. Um, And so when you're you're first to something, I think you have to um, think about the risk you're taking, limit your exposure, but not your speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not grow too fast um, before it's time. And that's hard in big companies because you just want to throw money and assume if you throw money, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to get there. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case. Hey, I hate to interrupt this conversation with Beth Comstock, but I want to let you know where you can learn more about her book, Imagine It Forward. She recorded a full series of videos on her career going from NBC to GE and more. But per usual, those were made exclusively for Mentorbox members. If you want access to that and much, much more, be sure to visit mentorbox.com today. Okay, back to the show. For those listening, I want to get a few words on what it was like for you to make the big career switch. It wasn't so much a career switch, but a switch of space, I guess. So you were largely in media and like television, largely. And you went to... GE from there, when yeah. you know, GE picked up NBC. What was that like for you? Can you just say, you know, what were some of the difficulties, the challenges that you wanted to take on, yeah. how you felt about it in the moment? Yeah, well, I remember I got uh, I got the call to <clears throat> go to Jack Welch's office, and he said, I want you to come to GE. And it was mm-hmm. literally, it was not anything I was anticipating. And he was planning for his succession uh, within four years and said, I want to bring some new People in, he, I, you know, sort of grown up within NBC, so I, I was known to them. But um, many people went from GE to NBC. Mm-hmm. NBC was owned by GE, but few people went from NBC to GE. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was one of the few, and. I uh, I just felt like going to GE was a challenge I wanted to take on. I wanted to see the world. I didn't go to business school. The ability to get into the business side of business on one of the biggest business in one of the biggest business companies on earth really appealed to me. And I think for me, it was just that curiosity, that wanting to learn and better myself is what pushed me forward. But I remember standing at an elevator bank and I had announced I was leaving and going to GE, and someone's like. You're really doing it? You're going to go sell light bulbs? <laughs> and at the time, I thought, like, yes. well, that's so such a limiting perspective. It turned out to be true. <clears throat> I did end up, at the end of my career, being part of a team that sold light bulbs. Yeah. But I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Mm-hmm. And I think my lesson from that is, one, trust your gut. Like, I couldn't have told you why I wanted to do it. I mean, I had to uproot my family. I was leaving a really sexy career in media mm-hmm. to go to GE. And so then I had to go in this environment where I, I didn't know. I remember I went to one of my first meetings with the finance team, and they were talking about the 10K. And they were talking about oh. a financial <laughs> filing, and I thought they were going to run a marathon. I thought they were, like, running the 10K. And so I didn't have the language. <clears throat> I had to ask questions. I had to be okay to be stupid. I, another meeting, I remember sitting around, and I said, ask some question about a financial thing. And somebody's like, well, anyone who knows anything about finance, Finance wouldn't ask that. And so, like, you're just like, but you have to be willing to keep asking and then find a few people who are willing to kind of coach you. I, I ended up finding an accounting teacher. I asked someone in HR, is there someone who's good here, like, could teach accounting and finance? And they had this local accounting professor who had done work for other people. And so, 
he let me ask him some questions. And he was a local accounting professor, and he became sort of a little coach to me so I could navigate some of that different business language and just how a PL works and things that I hadn't been trained to do. So my message is um, the curiosity will take you places, but you also have to do the homework and know the language and understand a little bit of what you're going into um, to navigate it. Yeah. So is it safe to say that you went from the mindset majority to the mindset minority when you're going from NBC to GE? Because I feel like those that are in the media space, you know, with PR and marketing, it's all kind of the same uh, ethos of like, we need to, you know, we're gaining visibility here. We're, this is all, you know, for publicity and for, and for growing what gets seen, what the brand is, et cetera. Whereas GE and, you know, those sorts of products are very different. And also it was, it's a lot of large scale B2B exchange and, you, you mention a lot in the book how you're amid engineers a lot of the time who aren't as public as other people because they're yeah. doing a lot of you know technical work on the back end. So did you kind of make that switch from a minority, from majority to a minority? Yeah, I like that you put that uh, minor, majority mindset to minority mindset. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, NBC was you, you promoted your programs to get more viewers mm-hmm. to drive more revenue from advertisers. I mean, it was a pretty simple model, but that was part of the. It was a consumer business, and mm-hmm. I was put in in an industrial B two B context, financial services and industry, and yeah. um, people didn't really appreciate marketing because they, they didn't really know what it was. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we were trying to redefine marketing, so they're like, "Wait a minute." Marketing, that's what we do at the end. That's like an ad, and we don't need an ad in B2B because everybody knows what we make in our industries. Um, or just you go to a trade show, and my ch- push for change in marketing was to say, you know, marketing's what, also what you do at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's about the market. It's about seeing where change is happening. It's about innovating the kind of revenue models you have. It's so you were like flipping paradigm. Yeah, exactly. You, did they bring you in for that purpose, well, do you think? I, no, I don't. Not originally. I mean, originally I was brought in when Jack was there really to help with the transition and the story of GE. And oh, he that's was right. just yeah, yeah. And then Jack, Jeff Immelt came in. And definitely Jeff had that vision. He had started in brand and he had started in marketing at GE and he had grown up in sales and he said, I need a marketing team in this company that can help us kind of know where the world's going, sort mm-hmm. of as the GPS of the organization. So he had been to business school. I hadn't. I mean, he had a sense of that, but he didn't know how to get there or even if that was possible. So he kind of set me loose in, in doing that. And I just lived in the market and saw what that could mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was strange to a lot of people because, one, it seemed frivolous. Why are we going to do ads? But I think the other thing is I brought a storytelling dimension to it. I'm a storyteller mm-hmm. at heart. And um, if you don't have your story straight, people are not going to connect. They're not going to know where you came from, what you, how you make your products, why it matters. Yeah. And so I think I hopefully was able to bring storytelling into a business context and show that it actually increases price, drives loyalty, enhances your value proposition, and, and all the things that um, we were able to show marketing can do. Mm-hmm. You also studied science, though, right? Yeah, I studied biology. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that that had any, any sort of play in, in how you progressed through your career in general? It definitely did. I, I, I'm only aware of it, I say I'm more aware of it now in hindsight, but as a someone trained in biology, I mean, I thought I was going to go to medical school. Ultimately, I wanted to be a science reporter. Mm-hmm. That's how I ended up getting into media. Wow. So I kind of always had that science storytelling. That's the thread that I pull through. 
But I, um, I think what biology in particular gave me a view is just this idea of just shared value. You know, mm -hmm. it's an ecosystem. It's give and take. And this sense that no company, no individual in, in biology, no organism lives on its own. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's particularly relevant now in the pace of change, the interconnectivity in our, our digitized world. The ecosystem model is much more relevant. Um, so I think I maybe had that orientation to be more aware of it, maybe than if I had been trained as a I don't know. Um, I don't know as a as a math major or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that you put in the uh, the emergence analogy yeah. in the book and imagine it forward. I think there might have been one or two others that I'm forgetting right now, but that's really interesting to think of it that way. The, the ecosystem yeah. and how yeah. it all functions. Like I mean, that. it is. It's it's um, take Apple uh, and the the you know app, app the app platform. I think is one of the mm -hmm. best examples we have of an ecosystem. Apple takes. 30% yeah. of every uh, of every transaction of an app of an app and what does the app provider get they get a platform they could never build on their own they mm -hmm. get distribution and so they both win in that mm -hmm. and they can over time argue oh you know who's getting what share but the reality is neither would have the value if they didn't have the other mm -hmm. and i think in companies we tend to think we can do everything ourselves innovate our way and the new dynamic the emergent leader dynamic is more collaboration more partnership more sharing risk and reward. Mm -hmm. And I think um, certainly biology teaches you that's the way of the, of the, of the natural world. Mm -hmm. It's not all just, you know, kill and be killed, and, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, or Darwin's, you know, I love, what I love about Darwin is only the, only the adaptable, you know, the, the, really only the, the, adap the, the adaptable survive. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, time time again, yeah, exactly. So I think that's what I take from that, that education. I see. So you've since um, finished up at GE, you're still um, pretty active on a number of very high-level boards, including Nike, which we talked about earlier. At this point, I'm curious, you've dealt with you know, the greening and you've dealt with huge media endeavors and you see, you have the mind of you know, a massive marketer and a, a media individual. So I'm sure you're very familiar with you know, all that's going on in the media today and the division and politics and all that mm -hmm. wild stuff. What in particular still keeps you up at night these days? Well, I think the pace of change and that we're not ready for it. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really concerned, and it was one of the reasons I felt I had to get my book together and, and into the world, is I'm concerned that we don't have enough critical thinking, creativity mm -hmm. uh, in our institutions. And I mean, that's businesses. I think that's government institutions. We've expected everything to be very formulaic and everybody's supposed to know the answer. I worry about that in our education systems. Mm -hmm. I think um, if you I talk to um, secondary and college professors, secondary teacher, high school teachers and college professors, they'll tell you a lot of the students they teach are afraid to take risks. They're like pressured by perfection. Mm -hmm. They want to already know <laughs> the answer. And yeah. really, we should be encouraging our kids to be much more figure it out kind of kids. Yeah. So that's something that keeps me up at night. Um, mm -hmm. How are we going to have the future workforce if, if we're not training them and we don't even know what to ask for in our companies? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm on a bit of, a, I think, a mission to kind of free the, the creative problem solvers of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up professors and teachers because I mentioned my last job. I was um, working in... Uh, publishing and sales, and I did speak with, I think, literally like thousands of really? professors in that job, and it is like a 
vastly common thing for them to say that the kids just want to know the answers. And uh, it almost seems like the trend among a lot of publishers is to create systems like homework systems and study assistants that really get really close to giving them too much information, like giving them the answers. Yeah, as opposed to think for themselves. Yeah. And And companies are that. That's what I, I, you know, I have this part of the book we talked about uh, that, you know, you're not a robot. Like Mm -hmm. the mechanistic you know, march that most companies, as they start to scale, the certainty, which you need at scale, but mm-hmm. not every part of the company needs to be that way. And if if everybody's afraid they're going to be replaced by robots, doesn't it mean they have to be more creative and more strategic than ever? Because mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that a robot's not going to do. Of I recently um, did a talk with a roboticist, and she had a really perspective, a really interesting perspective. Her view and why she was doing robotics was she felt we were going to be able to train robots to make us more creative. So that that was, they were going to kind of challenge us to do what you're saying the publishers were taking away, that robots were actually going to bring that back. Mm -hmm. So I was really, I I loved that as, again, an imaginative leap of how a problem is actually a solution. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I'd love to see how that plays out. Yeah, I know, me too. I hope she's successful. So I did want to ask you then, along this note, the title of the book, Imagine It Forward, when I first saw that, I thought, okay, for somebody who's as high level and as experienced and has done such wild things, this is, um, I don't know what the right word is, but maybe like a, a softer title. Whereas I think a lot of big time business folks, when they end up writing their book, um, especially after, you know, like the meat of their career, it's it seems like something very affirmative. Whereas Imagine kind of leaves... A lot to the imagination, yeah. if you will, and yeah. I. But I think that's so important. Like I'm, I think I'm on your side, and that I think that we really need to be thinking in those ways and, and more deliberately attacking creativity and yeah. imagination. Whereas a lot of people seem to be like stuck Going in the, the Six way. Sigma type. Yeah. Like, oh, I've been a you know a CEO of this company forever. Here are like the exact uh, processes that I used to to get there. And yours is a narrative. It's a story. The book, and it's also the actionable items that help spur that creativity. So was there a lot of debate going back and forth with your title? Did you have a lot of ideas? Yeah, oh my gosh. I have pages and pages of what I, of what the title should be. I had a collaborator <laughs> on the book. He had a point of view. My publisher yeah. and editor had a point of view. So you could imagine there was a lot that we went through. I felt always I wanted it to be this expression of imagination. My experience yeah. at GE, I mean, our tagline shift was to imagination at work. So I didn't, I didn't want it to be this is just about GE. Clearly yeah. I worked there, so that's the backdrop. But... I feel like kind of my mission, if I boiled it down at GE, was to unlock the imagination mm-hmm. of the mechanistic, pr- efficient, productive machine so that it could create the future. I was part of that mission. And it didn't apply just to GE. But I toyed with permission granted because a big theme of the book is you have to give yeah. yourself permission to change. It had a bit of a, there were, there were just some similar topics that were more kind of religious or spiritual. So I felt, we felt that could be a bit confusing and not from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to create some victory title either because as you'll, you know, as you see with the <clears throat> book, it's not about a series of victories and wow, we were so great. There were a mm-hmm. lot of, I could have called it fail forward <laughs> and it might have also been appropriate, but, um, but it was always something around Imagine, yeah. something I always felt I wanted to bring that into even a subtitle. Yeah. I I just like that you were so candid in the book, though, because you do talk about those, I think they're mostly smaller failures that spurred on the massive successes at the end of the day, because the 
num the vast number of successes that you encountered were huge. I think that's what's so important too. Great. Well, we can wrap it up there. Uh, before you before you go, so it's imagine it forward. Um, and where can folks learn more about you and, and contact you if they'd like to? Yeah. So the book's Imagine It Forward. Subtitles: Courage, Creativity, and the Power of Change. It's out September eighteenth. Available everywhere you can buy books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I um, I try to be out everywhere I can on social media. I'm particularly uh, engaged on LinkedIn and Twitter at Beth Comstock, also on Facebook, uh, trying to grow Instagram. So, <laughs> so you'll find a different <laughs> side of one. me on uh, on Instagram. Um, but I really love to engage and especially LinkedIn I found is a really great platform to give challenges, get challenges, try to dig into some to some conversation. I do a book club um, that I share. I talk to authors on a regular basis as well. So I usually share clips on LinkedIn of some of the authors I'm talking to. Great. All right. Well, thank you so thanks, much. Thanks, Tyler. For thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thank really you. Thanks to you it. and Will. Thank you. Awesome. Everybody else, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.